Um, the, the the joke about JoJo's is that it starts with really buff, like traditional shonen characters, and gets gayer and skinnier as it goes along. Oh. everyone and welcome to anime club after dark the podcast that delves into all things anime manga and otaku culture related i'm your host alex but you can call me senpai and joining me tonight i just have our chivalry of shota shotaro i hate when boys dine and dash <laughs> I, you're not the only one that hates it i think fucking restaurants hate it too <laughs> is that some kind of musical reference i should know oh we're talking about food what <laughs> anyway so show yes we've we've come to not only the end of the year 2019 we've also come to the end of the decade the end of the 2010s i'm so old i yeah you aren't the only one i finally hit double digits (laughs) i'll be 30 in a month wow triple digits wow that's a lot wow okay shut up you can shut up right now yeah i thought it would be a really good uh good thing to do for our last episode of 2019 and the last episode of this decade to just take a little look back at the decade that was for anime and the anime industry recount some of our favorite shows uh some industry trends that we liked and we didn't like maybe suggest some hidden gems that people might have uh uh, passed over throughout the decade and just kind of get our general thoughts on this decade and where the industry itself is heading. So uh, with that being said, uh, I want to like spend the first few minutes here talking about some some genres, studios, and maybe some trends that uh, defined this decade in anime. And I, th- where I want to start is where I think actually the genre that will define this decade comes from i i think that i think the 2010s will be remembered as the isekai decade because we had so many isekai anime especially in the second half of the decade uh come out every single season and i attribute a lot of the uh rise in popularity of the isekai genre to sword art online which some people say it's a game anime but yeah it's it's really an isekai anime i guess i feel like i mean because you're someone who likes Sword Art Online, but I don't. I never said I liked Sword Art Online. <laughs> you're watching it right now, and I know I you like it. I just Sword Art Online. There's a fine line right there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It's funny, because Sword Art Online, I wouldn't consider a pure isekai. But after Sword Art Online, there's been a lot of pure isekai. Yeah. But you can see how it kind of jump-started the genre. It's quite similar to the concept yeah. yes yeah and it's 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 probably interesting to point out that it wasn't the first isekai like by a, by a wide margin it's not the first isekai but it was the first that was like insanely insanely popular i mean so i think it was, it was either john or chinoda was pointing out to me like you know technically inuyasha is an isekai which yeah technically it is and it's been around for a while but no one thinks of it as an isekai. When you when you think of of Sora Online, you may not immediately think of like a pure or traditional isekai, but 
it kind of is. The first isekai was Digimon, after all. So. Ah, that's not true. The original isekai was not even Japanese. It was Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Fuck anyone who disagrees with me. Okay, then. Uh, yeah, I just think that with the the rise or with the 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 popularity that Sword Art Online had, it really jump started this whole isekai trend. And I think that looking back, maybe twenty, thirty years from now, I think this is what the decade is going to be remembered for. Probably most, it'll probably be remembered for this more than anything else. Maybe, although, well, I guess I guess you are right. Although. Um, speaking of isekai, I'd say stuff like ReZero and Konosuba, which are more pure isekai, oh, yeah. would represent that kind of trend better in this. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, Sword Art Online wasn't the, wasn't even the, the, was the only popular isekai. Like you say, you had Konosuba, you have ReZero, um, uh, No Game, No Life was really popular. That's also an isekai. I guess so. I feel like that came out like before the trend even started. Uh, 2014, uh, around the same time, I would say. I mean, the same year that the second season of SAO came out. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that looking back 20, 30 years from now, yeah, the isekai, this genre, especially its rise to popularity is what this decade is going to be known for, for better or for worse. Now, myself, like, yeah, I thought it was a really cool thing in the beginning, but I, I genuinely believe that one of the problems with isekai is that it's become so saturated. Like, every season now, we're getting three, four, five, six isekai shows, and it's so, like, I'm, I'm over it because the setup is so often the same, and the main character is always either overpowered or just someone is like a, it's like a fish out of water story and it's like uh, i mean there's only so much you can do with this i think i mean i feel like the main problem is that there's too many bad isekai i don't think there's a problem mm. necessarily with the plot structure or the genre i think the problem is that there's too many people who want to just make a crappy isekai and sell it by don't want to jump on the bandwagon the fact that it's an isekai that's the only selling point when you have to I, do I feel like if you're that. i feel like if you're a writer right now in japan who wants to get what they're writing on to, it made into an anime probably the easiest way to get a studio's attention is to make an isekai uh, <laughs> to write an isekai it doesn't have to be good it just has to be an isekai maybe um I feel like that trend might be dying soon since I yeah, feel like I, we've I, I reached feel, the saturation point where I feel like we're, I feel I feel like if we haven't reached it right now it's very very close probably Yeah, I definitely think it's on a downward trajectory. Um and like you say it, it it's not the fact that the isekai formula is necessarily bad it's just that there's so many bad isekai out there because it's so saturated. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Not all of them are going to be great, obviously. Not every isekai that comes out is going to be a ReZero or or a uh, uh, Konosuba. Um, in fact, there was the only the only real isekai I liked out of 2019 was, and it didn't even start in 2019, it ended in 2019, but that was uh, Slime Tensei. I fucking loved it because it was an isekai that didn't even attempt to take itself very seriously. I don't watch it, so I'll just trust you. I know, it was almost like it was parroting the entire genre which is probably why I liked it. But um, I guess kind of along the same lines, another uh, 
another trend is game anime. I use that kind of in air quotes. I'm not like you wrote this down, so maybe you can define it better than I can. Like, what is the difference between an isekai anime and a game anime? Because when I hear game anime, I'm thinking maybe Sword Art Online is what you mean by that. Well, yeah, like the thing with isekai anime is that it's still a uh, trend that's happening now. Whereas I feel like game anime was a very localized trend that happened around when Sword Art Online came out in 2012, which was quickly followed by Log Horizon and then Overlord and Grimgar, etc., etc. I mean, mm. these shows are very heavily inspired by like video games and their mechanics and etc. And I feel like there is a difference in tone between something that's trying to be a game and something that's trying to be a uh, isekai into a fantasy world. Mostly because there's ways you can abuse the game um, mechanics and that doesn't really... That's not like a thing that can happen in isekai. That is a thing that can happen if you're in a game. And also... I feel like in a game, there's much more real chance that you can come back to reality than in an isekai <laughs> where that idea is totally thrown out the wall. It's like, okay, forget about your real life. You're in this new world now. But in a game, it's like, this is going to end eventually. So we're going to go back soon. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Mela, it's not I guess that so, is kind of what Sword Art Online is. It's not because so they Because they're able to leave the world. Yeah, it's not so different, but like, to me, this is a very personal issue I have with people who say they are the same thing. But to me, there is there is a distinct difference. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. I mean, it, it the setups can be very similar, though. Yes, they can be. Where it's like you're you're just living your normal life in the regular world. Like, oh my god, you're in the game world. Yep. It's kind of like what happened in, in Overlord. I do like how after after like the first this is more so for the light novel, but for the first after the first couple of chapters, it's like I have to keep reminding myself this is a, a game world because I they they don't go back and say that it's a game world. That's true. I just keep thinking keep thinking this is just some random fantasy world that's been created. Like no, this is someone who lived in the real world and now is in a game. Yes. And that's why I like Overlord so much, because it doesn't actually focus on the fact that it is supposed to be like this isekai world. It just feels like a like I won't say generic, a, a general fantasy world. There are a lot of good things about Overlord. Could have a whole there are many good things about Overlord. That. Bone Daddy and Albedo are two of them. Oh my. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um so I guess another trend um of this decade i mean it's a trend of many decades that um the shonen genre as a whole has stayed really really strong uh it's still i think the most uh profitable genre of, of anime out there um and we've had some interesting uh what's the word i'm looking for entries, entries? yeah yes yeah thank you into the into the shonen genre uh this decade uh one of the most uh, amazing for me at least in this decade has been something that came out this year and that was demon slayer like demon slayer is peak shonen in my opinion uh it just it ticks all the boxes and i just oh it's so good i know it's like we're talking about something that came out so recently but god it's so good 
Mm-hmm. Everyone should go watch Demon Slayer fucking show. No, I'm not into samurais. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people would say, uh, us not included, that uh, My Hero Academia really yeah. defined the shonen genre of this decade. Um, just Certainly the second half of the decade. Cer- just uh, based on how popular it was. Um, in the anime community, and I'm pretty sure outside of the anime community, I'm pretty sure it's honestly it's a pretty decent show uh, to get people into anime who don't watch it's it. It's a it's a phenomenal. Like as much as I as much problems as I have with uh, with MHA, I will I will happily defend it being a great gateway anime. Yes, and even besides the biggest shonen or biggest new shonen, My Hero Academia. You know, we had Gintama and um, Fairy Tale, which consistently aired throughout this entire decade. As they always do. And the Fairy Tale anime actually ended this decade. So oh, wow. I wasn't following it. Ended it ended this year. <laughs> um, another great uh, anime adaptation of... Uh, shonen manga that we finally got after many many decades was jojo's bizarre adventure which started back in 2013 um i mean yeah it had an anime adaptation in the early 90s no one talks about that because it was absolute dog shit garbage um but yeah david production a a production company that was pretty much founded for the sole purpose of eventually creating a jojo's anime uh not only did they do it they fucking have consistently delivered throughout this decade i mean starting with parts one and two back in 2013 all the way through uh part five which ended uh this year earlier this year and uh we're still waiting on an announcement for a part six anime uh hopefully it doesn't take too long but yeah i mean that's another uh thing that i think this decade will be known for it was a decade that finally gave us a good jojo's anime (laughs) so clearly jojo's has a very large fan base but I feel like when it came out around 2013, um, it didn't really like come out with a bang. I feel like it was there was a really slow aggregation of fans, unless mm. I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean you're you're not you're not entirely wrong about that. So parts one and two of JoJo's like are sometimes referred to as its two weakest parts because those are the parts without stands. Um, part three is really where JoJo's hits its stride and comes into its own. That was back in what 20, 2014 is when the first part of JoJo's part three came out. First half of JoJo's part three came out. Um, so yeah, you're you're not wrong about that. Um, and a lot of people who started watching the JoJo anime back in 2013 with parts one and two were probably longtime manga fans um, who were just itching for any kind of new JoJo's content. So yeah, I mean. You're not wrong. It was it was a slow trickle, I think. But once part three aired and we had all the memes that part three is known for now, um, I think that's where you really saw the anime itself come into its its own in terms of a fan base. Mm-hmm. And one of a lot of people would say the best shonens of all time finished in 2014, which is Hunter Hunter. Uh, <laughs> I, I really thought you were going to say Naruto. I'm like, wow, you're love, giving for someone who hates it, you're giving Naruto. a lot of credit. I hate Naruto. Um, but 
Uh, for me personally, uh, who's a big fan of Hunter Hunter, I actually watched the 1990 question mark version and I watched the 2014 version as well. Um, it was, it was amazingly produced. Honestly, I was blown away by it. Um, isn't the manga still going? Yes, of course. Thank you for the meme. Uh, <laughs> but actually, I actually knew the answer to that I just wanted to hear you say I it. I know you knew the answer, but um, it is. It's like many shonen. It is so so long. It's like 140 something episodes or something. But if you like shonen, I would highly recommend this. I feel like a lot of people who are shonen fans haven't watched this. Um, I'm not sure why, but you should. I feel like it it definitely deserves more popularity than it currently has. But it had a lot of people do give it high praise, and it definitely deserves that. Um, but besides Hunter Hunter, there were a lot of just smaller but still good shonen that um aired in the 2010s, such as Blue Exorcist, Norgami. Um, I personally liked Magi, although I think that was like the least popular of the shonen but it's still really nice i definitely also recommend magi for a different twist on the shonen formula um overall i think it's a pretty strong decade for shonen yeah mob psycho 100 was also one that uh got a lot of people talking i guess so i don't know if it's officially considered shonen but it doesn't really follow i think it's listed as a shonen on mal I wouldn't. I think I would personally say it doesn't really follow the typical plot structure of a shonen, but that was a very popular show. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I I haven't seen it, so you'll you'd have to tell me. But oh, it's more of a. It's like a battle slice of life to me. Yeah. There's no real okay. like journey or adventure. That's fights in it like a shonen though, doesn't it? Well, yes, but he's not really on okay. a journey. He's just like I'm in school now. I fight. Now I'm in school. Now I fight. Now I fight. Oh, you got it. Oh, you did watch it. What? It seems. No, I mean, it just seems. It seems like it's an easy to follow formula. Oh, really? What I would have shown it, yeah. right? I didn't know that. Easy to follow. Uh, <laughs> but yes. Um, overall, I'm quite as someone who likes shonen, ish. I don't know. I don't follow like the like. The really long ones that require so much time investment, but I do follow the ones that I can. Like One Piece. Uh, yes, that one. Um, I definitely was satisfied with the shonen that came out this decade. So, if you are a, a shonen fan, you had a lot to look, you know, a lot to look at this uh, this this decade. I mean, and and going in off of that a subgenre of shonen, the sports genre. I know a lot of people get a little upset when you say it's not really a sub. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, we had Haikyuu, we had Yuri on Ice. Uh, we had Kuroko. Kuroko Nabasuke. We had Chihaya Furu, which I, we, some may not consider that, that really? sports, but it is. <laughs> we also had Free, which some, some people Free. might also not consider that sports. And you would be correct, but it is officially considered <laughs> a sports anime. <laughs> It is it is very officially considered a sports anime. I mean, yeah, I, I just remember back in 2016 the absolute fury of hype that Yuri and Ice came in with and it was, it was great. 
it's I, I think that Yuri and I is definitely deserved the praise that it got at the time. I'm not sure how well it'll stand up over time though. Yeah, I feel as a sport as a sports anime. Like I look at Haikyuu, I mean the was we're going on the fourth season that's gonna start in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that's had staying power. But I'm just not sure with Yuri and I's exactly like it it des- like I said, it deserved all the praise that it got when it aired and you know, the articles that were written about it. It it deserved all of it. I'm just not sure that ten, fifteen, twenty years from now people are still gonna be talking about it. I would say no unless it gets a sequel, which apparently it's it might. It was well, getting a prequel movie. Okay. Uh <laughs> You can't Let's hear it, but I'm Victor. rolling my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I didn't. I couldn't hear it, but I I knew it. Um, but I mean, Haikyuu definitely carried the sports genre for the decade. Is obvious. Uh, I would say obviously was the strongest sports show of uh these ten years. Um, Kuroko was also really good, and I would say those two were we're the best <laughs> we're just gonna ignore your eyes and free mostly because like they didn't have a lot of episodes honestly compared to three has had like three seasons and two movies what are you talking about what there's been like three seasons of free and like two movies yeah but each season is 12 episodes girl okay whatever um so kind of along the lines of that i want to talk about Something a rise in something else, a rise in a lot of female anime fans out there. Um, wow. Because we, well, we mentioned Yuri and Ice, we mentioned Free, we mentioned Haikyuu, and I I almost can't think about those shows and especially their fan faces without mentioning the rise of the Fujoshi. Yes, the beautiful so Fujoshi. Do we want to just, like, do we really want to, like, for briefly describe what a Fujoshi is for anyone who might not know? I mean, just do your self introduction, Alex. <laughs> you're funny fuck you so fujoshi a fujoshi is basically a female anime fan who really likes to ship male characters together i mean that's 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 it in a nutshell really i mean i think it literally translates to dirty girl yep i'm pretty sure but it's basically it's a girl who likes reading yaoi and shipping male characters together <laughs> um and those three shows that I mentioned, Yuri and Ice, Haikyuu, and uh, Free, have a lot of female fans that love to ship the male characters together. Now, in Yuri and Ice's uh, case, it, the show kind of does the work for them, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, it seems like with the rise of, of these sports anime, it seems to come with the rise in the Fujoshi. Now, Fujoshi have always been around. It just seems like there's more shows now that seem to be catering to that Fujoshi fan base, or at least have elements in the anime that cater to the Fujoshi fan base. I would say so. I would say that Free has opened the gates, and now... Literally. I feel like if Free didn't come out as popular as it would, something like Banana Fish would not have been greenlit, um, which both are clearly uh, aimed at the same demographic. And there's a lot of other, I mean, I don't know. This might be a controversial opinion, but I would say the third season of Sword Art Online is definitely catered to the Fujoshi. Is Um, that the one that's currently out? No, the one that's currently out is the second part of the third season of Sword Art Online. Excuse me. 
<laughs> get Excuse your me. Sword Art Online canon right. <laughs> but heaven forbid. Um, there's also stuff like Seraph of the End, which was just literally one fucking scene away from gay sex on the screen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a good thing, a bad thing, definitely a good thing. People may argue, but it is a thing. It is a thing that happened in the 2010s. Well, that speaking of uh, speaking of gay sex on the screen, uh, that's a great segue into what I want to talk about next. Um, so th- this decade also saw a rise in more, for lack of a better term, edgy shows, which led to some shows with more uh, more mainstream shows, not like specifically hentai shows, but more shows with. Uh, sexual content in them than we probably would have seen in previous decades. Um, the the biggest example of that that I can think of off the top of my head is probably Scum's Wish. Like, Scum's Wish had a lot of sexual content in it, but it was still a mainstream show. Yes, although I would say it was tasteful sexual content. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely tasteful. Like, there was nothing, like, inordinately, like, just in-your-face tits and ass or something, but... It it was something that I, I don't think something like Scum's Wish with the way it was done could have been made in the early 2000s or the 90s. I just don't see it happening. Definitely. I think with the we're going to talk about this later on, but with the rise of, you know, streaming services and uh, direct to nets animation, or at least the option of not airing it on the television and going direct to the web um Mm. you know standards are changing we can see more violent and more sexual content than what we were able to see before um i mean the global landscape is changing the internet is growing larger and larger and becoming more commonplace so yeah isn't there actually a movement to decensor porn in japan right now uh yeah so the now I may get some of this wrong. I didn't bring. I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but um. So there is a law, and it's a very old law in Japan. It's like a like a public decency kind of law, which has been around since like the eighteen hundreds. Which is what leads to things like dojinshi and uh, hentai being censored, where it has like it just censors the genitals, but not really anything else. Um, that law is up for review, as I as I understand. Um, and there's a lot of support for just getting rid of the law outright uh, and not having to censor, like, genitals anymore for actual hardcore pornography. Yep. So, I mean, we can definitely see that s- sort of sentiment expressed in what kind of content we're seeing in anime. And that's being reflected in the law in Japan, apparently, maybe, might happen. Uh, I also think that some of this might actually be happening in order to appeal more to Western audiences because something else that happened this decade was the um, outside of Japan anime sales um, are starting to match the sales of anime inside of Japan. And so there's, there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe this is being done to appeal to more Western audiences. I feel like hypersexual content is like something very japanese 
I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, not saying it you, hasn't been in Japanese like you, stuff before. I'm just saying this this ha- this mainstreaming it. Maybe I feel like if you show the toothbrush scene from Monogatari, which is a show that aired <laughs> in the 2010s, that is true. Uh, to someone who doesn't know anime, that would probably freak them out. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's trying to appeal to a Western sensibility. Maybe, maybe I, it I is know. trying, but in the wrong ways. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you there could be a lot to that. Um, I don't know. I I feel like the, there is definitely a shift going on. It may be multifaceted in its cause, but there's definitely like a cultural shift. I think within the anime industry, where a lot of this stuff that would have been taboo to even consider animating in a mainstream anime 10, 15 years ago is now like, oh, let's give it a try. Yeah, and um, we talked about... Like the toothbrush scene from Monogatari is a really good example. And Monogatari in general is a really good example of that. There's a lot of like sexual undertones and overtones in, in Monogatari. And I feel like if... I mean, obviously it's based on a light novel that came out in the early 2000s. But I feel like if you were trying to animate it back then or even in the 90s, it just it wouldn't have flown. It wouldn't have got past a lot of censors. And I think one of the most uh, popular, most in-your-face uh sexual shows of the decade was kill a kill which i feel the main appeal of that show was literally being as lewd as loudly as you can uh and that was extremely popular and successful um was that trigger's first show that was trigger's first yeah and that uh, was a very tv anime very uh very great success for them and then we all, you also had like smaller shows like Shimanetta and Keijo, which were clearly, I mean, they were they were decently popular, but I mean, their main appeal was just shoving sexual content in your face. Um, yeah, and honestly, um, yeah, it was Sarah's quite entertaining. Sarah's this from this year. Yes, that as well. That was um, very sexual. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and I, I even look back to uh, Darling in the Franks, which had a lot of sexual innuendos in it. I didn't may not have had them. outright sex, but it had a lot of oh, innuendos in like it. like the metaphors. Yeah, it had a lot of sexual metaphors I... in it. That is a beast of its own. Um, Devilman Crybaby is another example of that. Maybe not necessarily on the sexual side, but certainly on the violence side. Definitely. I mean, there was a lot of hyper-violent. I would say the most hyper-violent would be Attack on Titan. Uh, mostly because, maybe not the most, but I feel like... It was the show that popularized the trend of hyperviolence in the 2010s because, I mean, for at least me and a lot of other people I know, when it came out, uh, one of the largest appeals was that it was unapologetically uh, like a bloodbath. Killing all of its characters. <laughs> unapologetically willing to kill everyone off at the flip of a hat. And that was something we hadn't seen before. And then after that, we get stuff like Tokyo Ghoul, Akame Ga Kill, uh, very violent shows that are basically... Hell, even Demon Slayer, even the fact that it's a shonen, it's it's extremely violent. Like, there's lots of blood and guts and shit in in Demon Slayer. So, I mean, even the shonen are getting more violent. Mm -hmm. And you get stuff that's not even shonen, like Erased and ReZero, which are... Um, maybe not mind mind fucks. I mean, they're very dark. They're very edgy. In yes, a, in a, yes. 
sort of pseudo violent way. Um, but that's definitely something that we've seen become popular in this yeah. decade. And it'll be interesting to see if that keeps going, especially if this whole, like, uh, the decency law that we talked about before actually does get either changed in some way or just completely, you know, gone away. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Uh, at the very least, if it goes away, there'll be no more censorship in hentai that comes out. You, we, what's hentai? <laughs> yeah, don't even, don't even go there with me, buddy. <laughs> um... So the last kind of thing I really want to talk about in terms of trends is um, a lot of decades end up becoming known for a specific art style. Um, like we talk, we think about '90s anime, we think about the '90s art style with the you know the big eyes, the small faces, the brown cheeks. Um, I what what would you say classifies or is there anything that classifies this decade in terms of an art style? I would say that the quote-unquote shonen art style is becoming more mainstream. A lot mm. of non-shonen shows draw their characters in a shonen way. I, that's not very descriptive, but that's the best I can give. No. I like, it's kind of like... Uh, a lot of the men are not... They're not like super skinny bishonen. They're not like super swole JoJo's. They're like, <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen part five? <laughs> and oh my! Wait, actually, I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't seen the part five. Um, the 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 joke about JoJo's is that it starts with really buff like traditional shonen characters and gets gayer and skinnier as it goes along. Oh, interesting. We stan a skinny queen. um but i like it's it's sort of for male characters i would say like the like large chubby cheeks and sort of like Mm. full-bodied figure is becoming popular maybe at least from what i can tell um i would definitely say overall the color palette is becoming brighter than what it has been in the past. Um, I'd say... That's something i definitely say, too. And I think a lot of that has to do with the rise of high definition. Like, in high definition, colors pop so much more than they would in standard definition. So there's, like, this emphasis on these animators to get colors right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, looking at the early 2010s, you have stuff like the Monogatari series, Durarara, Angel Beats... Black Butler, Madoka, which K-On. all no, not K-On. Um but particularly oh, I brought on, those K-On. up because they all use very subdued, pastel-ish colors. And then when you come to the late twenty nineteen with like Fire Force and Promise Neverland and Sword Art Online and stuff like that. Carolyn Tuesday is a good example of that too. I would say Carolyn Tuesday is more, more bringing back to this to the uh, subdued. Really? Yeah. I thought it had a pretty. I thought it had a pretty uh, bright and cheery color palette. Hmm. Maybe. Um, but looking at those early shows and looking at the late shows, there's definitely 
a brightening of the palette, I would say. Mm. And something else that you mentioned, I don't know if this is more universal. I, I Actually, I would argue it's a little less universal, but it's something I have noticed recently, is this trend toward more uh, thicker character outlines. And I attribute, I think, and you do too, I attribute a lot of this to um, the rise of Studio Wit, uh, and in particular, uh, the popularity of Attack on Titan, because that's something that's sort of been a staple of Attack on Titan is the thick black character outlines. Yeah, and you can accompany, it, accompany that with the general success of Kyo Annie, because, mm-hmm. I mean, they've always used pretty thick lines because that um, accentuates the moe of the character. So, mm-hmm. I mean, those two things combined definitely has had an effect on the general character designs of most shows this decade yeah i think yeah i I won't say it's necessarily as universal as the brighter color palettes because that's something i definitely i see it in a lot of shows especially now towards the end of the decade that i'm I'm looking back at some of these shows like yeah the, the palettes are getting brighter and brighter and i'm like i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing um i think that as we go into um like the 4k era where colors are going to be even more important i mean i think you're just going to see brighter and brighter colors just like with music music's just getting louder and louder lol okay boomer no i mean that's a general shift in music that's not that's not have me you listened to billy eilish shift in music. no <laughs> don't even know Do you who even she know who she is uh, no <laughs> okay um but anyway yeah there's i think there's definitely been that that shift in art style this decade and i think maybe that that's two things that this this decade might become known for the the slightly brighter color palette and the thick character outlines love a thick character <laughs> um so before I, I move on to more um like studio and industry focused stuff um do you want to like maybe go over some hidden gems of the decade that a lot of people might have passed over that you think they should go back and uh, give a try before the next decade starts or it gets too far in? Definitely. I'd like to shout out From the New World, which finished airing in 2013, to dystopian, creepy show that is, if you want to get your mind fucked, then watch that. It's really great, really uh scary i love horror stuff and it's hard to find that in anime but this one is really good and uh really great world building uh and i definitely recommend it but also recommend banana fish if you want to watch some gay action (laughs) 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 or just (laughs) not sexual just uh violently just action no gaily violent action quality okay. content from banana fish um <laughs> carolyn tuesday always a amazing show i don't know if it's a hidden gem since it technically recently aired and i guess i haven't really given it time to become popular but it isn't popular at the moment and it should be because we actually did a spoiler cast on it if you want to know the full thing but in a a small little tidbit to describe it it's basically beautiful people 
singing beautifully and you should listen to that <laughs> and uh okay i don't want to go on too long but yeah <laughs> all right well there's only there's there's a couple that i'd like to uh to point out that people should give a try to one is actually from this year as well it's set us and my which you and i also did uh episode reviews on earlier this year uh definitely check those out after you get done watching it but um it, it's really unique um it's I will say if you're a fan of the Monogatari series, definitely check this one out. It's got a lot of the same uh, animation style and uh, I say a similar art style too. Um, and it's got a really weird wacky story, but it's got a great, it's got great heart and it's just really fun to watch um, without giving too much away. Um, another one I want to give a shout out to, um, I don't know if this is necessarily a hidden gem, but I I've never really seen an enormous amount of people talking about it uh, for how good of an uh, anime comedy it is. And that's something from back in 2012, The Daily Lives of High School Boys. What's the actual Japanese title show? Because I know you can spout it off the top of your uh, head. I haven't watched it in a while. Something with Nichijou. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you used to, like, the first time we said it, it was like, Daily Lives, what's that? It was like, and then you used to, like, blah, 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 Uh That's because they sing it every time. Did you watch the sub or the dub? the sub okay well in the sub they sing it at like every episode so well, well I, don't, I must have watched listen, it recently at the time maybe um <laughs> but anyway yeah daily lives of high school boys it's it's a funny as fuck uh anime comedy it's it's one of the best anime comedies in my opinion ever made um it's strangely relatable at some points which is scary to think about <laughs> um and literature girl is one of the greatest anime characters of all time <laughs> Um, and the last one I really wanted to point out is from 2014. It's called Ping Pong the Animation. A lot of, I I don't want to like, dwell too much about what it's about uh, because it's it's really good to go in there with no expectations or really just go in as blind as you can. Um, yes, the the art style is not great. Um, it's not even good. It's pretty terrible. Um, but. It has a really great story with really phenomenal characters that I really wish more people would give a try because it's it's just it's an absolute joy to watch the story unfold in that. Um, so moving on, I want to talk about a couple of studios. Uh, particularly, I want to talk about some studios that were founded this decade and what we kind of think about them. I, I've picked out three in general because I think they're – well, I picked out two in particular because I think they uh, are probably what's going to be remembered the most from this decade and one that was recently founded that has a lot of potential, I think. So the first one I want to talk about is one – it's become one of my favorite studios of all time, and that's Studio Trigger. I – I mean, what else is there to say? They done. Uh, they started out as we mentioned before with Kill a Kill. They did. Um, uh, fuck, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, they did Keys Sniper. We don't. We don't talk about that. <laughs> they did Darling in the Franks. They did. Dar- well, they they it was a co-production, but yes, uh, Little Witch Academia, which is became one of my favorite anime like ever. Uh, great anime to get kids into anime. Little Witch Academia. Um, uh, more recently, they did the anime film Premiere, which was absolutely phenomenal, um, and it's it uh, it broke the two million mark here in the states. Um, they become known for their very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
I, I want to say cartoonish, but it's not. Their art style is not cartoonish. It's uh, it is kind of. I don't know what. I I, I guess. Um, oh God, I don't know. Anyway, so Studio Trigger was founded by a bunch of people uh, that were that left uh, Gainax to to found a studio. Uh, m- principally among them being Hiroyuki Imaishi and Yo Yoshinari, uh, who both worked on uh, Gurren Lagann and uh, fuck Panty and Stocking at uh, Gainax. And they went on to found Studio Trigger. I think that for a studio that's only been around since 2013, they've come an enormously long way. And like every single thing, with probably the exception of Kiesniver and the last couple episodes of Darling in the Franks, I've absolutely loved from them. So I'm really hoping that they can keep this momentum going. And I, I, I'd love to see what more they can come up with. We, they've already announced... Uh, for 2020 there's going to be a new show called bna uh which looks like it has a lot of promise and it was very recently announced in fact a couple of days ago that um one of their shows from 2018 uh gridman is getting a sequel so that'll be fun to watch there i know you liked kill the kill didn't you i did i loved it yeah so I mean, you started. I, I think you've kind of fallen a little bit out of love with Studio Trigger, but you used to like them a lot. They were a one-hit wonder, honey. Kill a Kill. They were not a one-hit wonder. Kill a Kill was amazing. Loved every bit of it, and then I don't like any of their other shows. So you haven't even watched half of their other shows. I have. Although you watched Darling in the Franks, I'll give you that much. Yeah, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> I think you. I think the only reason you watched Dragon in the Franks is because it was so popular while it was airing. Well, I had a lot of friends who were watching it, so mm. I wanted to know what was going on. I mean, okay, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah, I just I, I fucking love Studio Trigger. I think I love it mostly because I love the art and the uh, directorial style of Hiroyuki Imaishi. And it just everything he works on just is so damn fun to watch. Like it may not make a whole lot of sense story wise, but God, it's fun to watch. That's all I got for Trigger. <laughs> um, so another studio that kind of came into its own this decade was Wit Studio, which uh, is probably most famous for the studio that does Attack on Titan. Speaking of, did Attack on Titan one hit wonders. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they tried to go off and they did Attack on Titan on trains, and that wasn't so good, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, and, like, even though they are a one-hit wonder, they gave up their one hit. Smart move with Studio. Well, we don't know that yet. What do you mean? We don't know that they're definitely not going to animate the fourth season of... Uh, attack on titan we it hasn't been announced who's doing it yet so there's still a chance even though it's a small chance that it might be wit okay i'm not saying you should bet on it i'm just saying it's possible okay i mean honestly i did kind of like seraph of the end just because okay not just because it was yaoi bait but that was a big part of it but also yeah i about to say that was it was like that was was like the main part but also the uh Character designs and background uh, scenery were both l- gorgeous. One of the best I've seen. 
Uh, Do you know that's something that no one ever talks about with Studio Whip, but more people should. The fact that almost every one of their productions, at least that I've seen, has had really phenomenal background art. Definitely. Um, Attack on Titan's background art was very good. Um, it, I don't think it's comparable to... Seraph of the End is literally like an art project with how they literally like took paintings from a museum and put them as the background for anime mm. um it's very um visually pleasing if you're a big fan of uh well-drawn art Sarah for the end will not disappoint um and i did enjoy that show um and honestly ancient magus bride i will say was well produced but not my genre <laughs> not your cup of not tea, my but cup you, of it tea. is well produced um but it was it was not shit it, they did it properly just not for me um cabinary was someone needed to get them a better scriptwriter for cabinary honestly someone <laughs> needed to hire a creative team because clearly there's no creativity in cabinary <laughs> Well, see, Cabinary was one of those things. It, it was it was an anime original, so it was something that the studio took upon themselves to create themselves. Um, and it was one of those. It's one of those things that oh God, we we need to do an episode just about this, and I hope we do sometime soon. Um, it, it's a great idea, or at least in principle, it's a great idea, just very poorly executed. No, it was shit idea, shit execution. I don't. I. I think. I think there was merit in the in the idea and the characters that they created. I just think it was it it about like the halfway point. It just took shit story wise. Yeah, everybody complains about it taking a shit halfway point. I complained when it aired that it was shit, just like Darling in the Franks. Everyone complains that it goes to shit halfway point. I'm like, nah, fam. Shit at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think you formulate that opinion after you finish Bitch, watching it. Fuck I you. have receipts. I could give you the timestamps. Honey. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't I don't buy it. Uh-huh. Um, um yeah. But yeah, I I I definitely think that with how popular uh, Attack on Titan became, it it, it sort of cemented stu- uh Wit Studio as like a studio to to watch and keep your eye on. Honestly, I have similar opinions on Wit and Trigger that I loved. Really? I loved their premiere shows, but they just couldn't follow up. So. I don't think technically Wit's first anime was uh, Attack on Titan. I have to go and check that, but I don't think it was. I think it was. I thought they worked on Seraph at the end before Attack on Titan. No, 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 no. That's 100% untrue. Okay, well, I don't know. I, I feel like they worked. It may not have been a TV anime. Uh, Attack on Titan may have been their first TV anime, but I think they worked on something else before Attack on Titan. No. Anyway, I'll have to go look that up afterwards. Someone in the comments, I'm sure, will tell me I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> and the last one I want to talk about for, for studios that were founded this decade is the studio with the greatest name ever, Studio Nut. Um, I... I, I point out the studio most they've only really done one uh, they've technically done two but they've only done one 
uh, anime project of, of any relevance, and that is uh, Yojo Senki. Uh, the English title is Saga of Tanya the Evil. I point them out because even though they've only done this one thing so far, where they did a series and a a movie follow up to it, um, I see enormous potential in the studio because, like, from a technical whatever you thought of, of Saga of Tanya the Evil story, from a technical perspective, the anime was very well produced. Same thing about the same thing with the movie too. Like it was very very well produced. Like clearly the studio has some talent, you know, working for them, or at least has the ability to get some talent working for them. So I put them on here as, as a studio maybe to watch over the course of the next decade. Not a fan of Tanya the Evil. I know, I know you didn't like Saga of Tanya the Evil. I I know that. But even even though you didn't like it, I mean, wasn't don't don't you think it was well produced? From a technical perspective? I am too biased. I guess maybe. <laughs> well, at least you can admit your bias, I suppose. I don't know. I just I think it's I think it's definitely a studio to watch to see if they can you know come up with some good stuff over the next decade. Because I, I think if they stay on the track that they're on, I think they'll be pretty good. Hopefully they're not a one hit wonder. <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about a few uh, notable studios that filed for bankruptcy this decade and are sadly no longer with us. Um, and one of the ones I want to talk about is kind of going on as of the, the time of this recording. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is a studio called Manglobe. Uh, Manglobe was founded all the way back in 2002, and they filed for bankruptcy back in September of 2015. Um, some of the... Uh, more memorable things that the studio produced was probably Samurai Champloo, Michiko Hachin, uh, The World God Only Knows, Dead Man Wonderland, uh, Carnival, uh, Samurai Flamenco, which was really great, and people should definitely watch that. And the last thing that they produced was Gangsta back in 2015, wow. which is another show that what? had a really great start and then really went to shit. What a flop. I like um, Gangsta. I, if only they had continued it. Wait, did, know, they, wait, they went bankrupt like literally right after Gangsta finished. Day, airing, right? Yeah, two days, two days after Gangster finished oh airing, God, I remember uh, they went that. Bankrupt. I was so disappointed because I'm like, but I want more Gangsta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and I they did some other stuff too. But I mean, you look at some of those things that they worked on, and you're like, wow, how did a studio that made all of this go out of business? And yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like they didn't really have any super big hits. They were all just okay. Well, Samurai Champloo was pretty big. I don't know. I wasn't born. <laughs> Two thousand and four. Yeah, I, I told you. I just hit double digits. Um, I I think a lot of this stuff kind of maybe falls under. I don't know. I guess Dead Man Wonderland doesn't. But um, the the idea of maybe a, a sleeper hit or a um a cult classic because they also did uh they also did house of five leaves which i thought was good but nobody watched it um i don't know it just seems like this is a studio that had a lot going for it and then it just never really panned out for them um they picked up some really good anime to they also did ergo proxy which was pretty good um I don't know. Just when you attach yourself to you know names like Shinichiro Watanabe and Sayo Yamamoto, you'd think that wow, you could get some shit done. But apparently, even big name directors couldn't save them. Unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate because I think this the studio had a lot of potential. Um, 
It just I, debt will get you every time, <laughs> which oh, wow. is which is which is how a lot of these studios end up going bankrupt. So the, another one that I want to talk about real quick is uh, Zebic, which uh, was founded all the way back in 1995. Uh, five years after I was born. And they actually went bankrupt this year, back in May of 2019. Uh, Zebic, over the years, has produced many, many uh, anime series. Uh, some of the more notable ones I can go over real quick. Uh, Love Hina, uh, Martin, uh, Martian successor Nadesuko, uh, Dean Angel, uh, Fafner, Nemnozine, which is a show that more people should watch. Uh, it's only six episodes, fuckers. Uh, to Love Rue. Uh, that's such a fucking long list. These all uh, sound like old titles. Uh, Keijo. Oh, they did? Yas Queen. They did Keijo. That was um, good. They did 2018's Full Metal Panic Invisible Victory, Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs. Pretty much the entire Fafner franchise. Um yeah so then the, this yeah and again this is all because they took on way too much debt and they couldn't they couldn't operate anymore so yeah this is another one that um i believe if i'm not mistaken uh this is a studio that came out of sunrise i believe maybe it was production ig i can't remember um uh, <laughs> But yeah, and they also worked on some games too. They worked on a lot of the Mega Man games that have come out in the 2000s. So that is another uh, long-standing anime production company that left us. And what, the one I want to talk about, though, it, it's really weird because there's a lot we don't know about it, um, is a relatively new – I say relatively because it was both founded and went bankrupt in this this decade. Uh, it's Tier Studio. Um, founded back in 2013 and is still in uh, still in uh, bankruptcy proceedings as of the recording of this episode in December of 2019. Um, obviously not being around that long, they didn't have a huge uh, filmography. Um, they did Frag Time, uh, Why the Hell Are You Here, a Teacher, Lord of Vermilion, and The Royal Tutor. Uh, wow. that's pretty much their entire catalog. And the amazing, the amazing thing is, is how everyone found out about this bankruptcy because everyone found out when the animators weren't paid and the studio just basically disappeared. Oh my. Like overnight, it literally just disappeared overnight. And, uh, it's come out since then that the studio ended up, or the head of the studio filed for bankruptcy and they had about 43 million yen in debt. Uh, Nearly 10 million of that was debt that was still owed to animators that had not been paid for the work that they uh, did. That's actually pretty shitty of them. It is. And it's, the way all this happened just makes me think was this just a giant Ponzi scheme? Was this supposed, was this anime studio just supposed to be like a front for, I don't know, narcotics trafficking or some shit? LOL. I don't know. It just the the way this has happened has been really, really weird. And and like I said, there's a lot we still don't know. Um, like all of its social media platforms are pretty much gone. Its website is still up. The last I checked. Um, in fact, I'm trying to get to it now. Uh, is it up? Is it down? Yeah, it's still the the website is still up. 
they even have a recruitment okay they're still they're still hitting applications that's good to know uh, i don't know it, it's really weird how it just disappeared and a lot of the animators that work for them just woke up one day and found out they didn't have jobs anymore such is the life of an animator i i guess um which yeah We'll see what happens, but yeah, I, like I said, it's, it's still developing as we record this. Um, but speaking of studios and industry, I do want to kind of wrap this up with some industry trends that we saw this decade. Um, probably one one of the ones I want to talk about first is, and not for very long, is the rise of more anime streaming services. Now, if you followed the uh, podcast for a while. A couple months ago, we actually did an, a podcast all about anime streaming services. So I definitely uh, advise you go check that out. But do you think it's actually a good or a bad thing that more uh, streaming services are getting into uh, anime distribution overseas? In theory, more competition would be beneficial for the market. However, the exclusivity of the IPs makes it so that it's really not competition it's just multiple monopolies so you're literally getting the worst of both worlds where you have multiple monopolies um so the current state yeah. affairs is not good um but in theory it could get better if things change so i mean you can hold out hope that it might get better but right now i, I don't see it as good yeah I, I definitely agree with you like like you said and we we definitely mentioned this in the episode which is why i highly recommend you check it out because i, I don't want this to turn into like a half hour thing just about streaming services um yeah it, it on on paper it sounds good having more of these services you know getting more and more anime the the reality is you're just having exclusives and it's turning into like a pseudo version of cable tv um yeah it's again in theory it's great that more more uh western companies are getting interested in anime it, the way they're going about it probably not the best um and a lot of that has to do with uh exclusive exclusivity and streaming rights so another uh, sort of along the same lines of that um is the return of something that was near and dear to my heart for many many years uh and that is a programming blog on cartoon network called toonami um, Toonami is, a, or was, uh, and still is, a programming block on a Cartoon Network that aired anime, I won't say necessarily, it wasn't always late at night, but toward the end of its original run was you know, around 11 o'clock to about 3 o'clock in the morning they would air a lot of different anime titles. And it, it wasn't always anime, sometimes it was um, some anime-influenced Western animation like uh, Teen Titans or you know, something else of that sort. Um, but for a lot of people my age that were, you know, born in the early nineties and, you know, raised throughout the nineties, early two thousands, um, Toonami was how a lot of us got into anime and how we got exposed to new anime because it would bring these, uh, this dubbed anime onto American, uh, cable television. Granted it was late at night and it was usually run on the weekends, but it was still, it was anime on TV that we had access to. And this is how myself, a lot of friends that I had growing up, how we got into anime, how we found new anime, how we kind of developed our taste in anime through what was being shown on Toonami. 
Um, I think its original run was 97 through 2008, I believe. Um, but then in 2013, a, uh, almost as, I think it was actually, it was an, it was an April Fool's joke that uh, Cartoon Network uh, aired a tsunami block on April 1st of that year. And there was so much, like, everyone was freaking out because it wasn't announced at all. It just kind of happened. And everyone was freaking out about it. And Cartoon Network, to their credit, took took notice of this. And they went on to Twitter and they're like, hey, we saw there were a lot of people talking about this. You want it back? Let us know. And then there was, like, some hashtag that went around, like, bring Toonami back or something like that. And it got so much response that, like, within about a month or so, they started having the Toonami block again on Saturday nights on Cartoon Network and it's still going now which is I mean it's great like fans like this fan supported thing got to not me back on the air and yeah I know a lot of people myself included like I tend to watch pretty much only subbed anime now and I think you too show of course exclusively um but <laughs> I, I think it still fills a void that was missing where a lot of these popular anime that get dubbed it's an it's a nice place for them to be where a lot of people have access to see them because like not everyone not not like me like not everyone's gonna have you know a netflix subscription an amazon prime subscription a crunchyroll funimation a high dive we're not all gonna have this stuff but a lot of people, especially younger people who live at home with still live at home with their parents, will have cable TV, and that that cable TV lineup will have Cartoon Network on it. Maybe I feel. I, like, I think it's a good service. Um, I feel like it was a good service. I don't know how relevant it is at the current year, considering how mm. accessible everything is via the internet, and that a lot of young people have access to the internet but um it is pretty like you don't have to do any work to find it it'll just air on tsunami um so Mm -hmm. that's a good thing in itself yeah i i do agree i think that like television as a general medium is kind of slowly dying i know so yeah as a kid like the only shows i could watch were on television like i didn't have the access to internet on demand um where i would just watch shows on the internet i would watch shows on television that was the fastest way to watch it yeah but and it was always there i mean they they had a specific block and that's where it was every week yep but nowadays i feel the i mean there's multiple multiple ways to get uh shows much more conveniently but it is an option that is available now so that's good yeah and it's a good way to get dubbed anime. Like I said, I don't really watch a whole lot of dubbed anime, but I, I do still go on Toonami sometimes, and I watch, and I like, you know, for a popular show that's airing on there, I just want to check out the dub and see just how good it is. And, like, they've been showing the uh, the dub of the jo- of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and, like, some of the dubs have been really good. Yeah, that's something else that happened this decade. It, it's, the idea that it just came back because of a groundswell of, of fan support just is is what I like most about it because there's so many, there's so many multinational companies now that don't give really a shit, a damn at all. What their, uh, what their fans actually want. They just want to pump out what's safe. I guess. I don't know. It just, it's, it's a, it's an example of a, 
a company listening to their fan base and giving them what they want. And that's why I liked it so much. And it is also a bit of nostalgia for me because there's so many days or so many weekends rather that I spent watching Toonami late at night on a Saturday way after I should have been gone to bed. Um, and there, there's definitely that nostalgia factor for me. And I think probably a lot of people too that have watched it since its return. Um, so another trend worth talking about. Um, which do I want to do first? Let's talk about sequels. So back in the day, especially when I first got into anime, well, not not that long ago, um, it a lot of times it was where you'd have a really good anime that would come out and you'd have one season of it and if you were lucky, if you were really lucky, you might have two. But that would be it. And this would be for anime uh, anime adaptations of longer-running manga or light novels. And that would be it. And all you'd be have, you'd have one or two seasons. That would be it. And now that there's this trend of getting multiple seasons for anime adaptations and to the point where a lot of a lot of people said that it was done that way in the past. It was simply as a way to sell manga and light novels and there's a lot of truth to that it really was um but i almost think that this trend that we're seeing of having a second third sometimes fourth fifth season to anime adaptations is um a sign that maybe these studios are seeing them as seeing these anime adaptations as something more than just a way to sell more manga and light novels maybe I mean, some of the uh, sequels are literally a shadow of the quality mm. as of the original uh, prequel. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure if they are. I feel like this um, trend of sequels is less about caring about the integrity of the anime medium over the source material and more about, well... We can sell sequels better than we can sell new content. So let's just <laughs> toss out a shitty sequel and have these weebs eat it up. And I guess it's it's like kind of like that uh, cliched old phrase, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. <laughs> At least you know that something that's already popular might sell. Yeah. Um, and honestly, a lot, especially in the late 2010s, a lot of the big shows that have been coming out have been sequels and there haven't been a lot of room for newer shows because all of the big companies are spending all of their time on sequels, which is not necessarily bad. Um, I mean, there's definitely some good sequels out there that I'm happy for. Um, but some... Like Haikyuu. Yes. Well, that wasn't this... Was it? Well, yes. that wasn't the late 2010s, but I definitely appreciate the Haikyuu sequels. Um, but I do not, like something I do not appreciate is the Food Wars sequels, which just get consistently worse. Shittier, yeah. The further down they go, worse each season. And now, now it's being done by the was it the third or the fourth season is being done? No, wait. Oh, you're talking about Food Wars, not Seven Deadly Sins, which is another good example yes. of that. Seven Deadly Sins is also another example that gets worse and worse. Um, surprisingly. SAO has maintained its quality production wise. <laughs> so that's something that they didn't, that hasn't gotten worse. But yet, I, I, 
I don't know. It's been it's there have been a lot of episodes that have aired for SAO, and they've all been pretty consistent quality. So I don't know if it's going to be dropping anytime soon. Um, the plot is a different story, but I mean, the point is that for the most part, these sequels, in my opinion, are just trash. <laughs> um, and I. There are definitely exceptions, though. Yes, definitely say. exceptions. But I mean, the general. Generally, I feel like it's a lot of trash. And um, honestly, I would rather not see a sequel and just see you do a a new content that you that you actually care about, studio producers, and are willing to actually put some time and effort into animating and writing. So. Uh, that's the complaint I have about this onslaught of sequels that we're getting. Um, and not only sequels for recently aired shows, like there have been hmm. some IPs that have been dug out of the grave, like Legend of the Galactic Heroes, that have gotten sequels. Um, but that, well, what's going on with Legend of Galactic Heroes isn't so much a sequel as it is a remake, continuations, revisitations. Yeah. I mean, a good example of one that took a while was ReZero. Like, ReZero was back in 2016, and we just learned this year that it's getting a sequel in 2020. So, I mean, that's that's a big that's a big gap in years between seasons. Yep. Um, I guess Hunter um, Hunter could be a revisitation that was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, I w- well, I would argue Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a, a remake or a revisitation, as you say, that's being done really well. I don't know how caught up you are, but the, for me, the most recent episodes are just getting worse. <laughs> well, I I'm not actually caught up like you know entirely, but um, I don't know. It just it at least the first season of it. I was. did quite um, thoroughly enjoy the first season. Um, the second season, I, well, but at the time of uh recording has not finished airing but um it's on rough waters the the second season in air quotes because it's actually just chopped up movies actually it's a chopped up season it's a chopped up season that is allegedly a movie okay well well, wow (laughs) (laughs) that's like my brain is exactly um, yeah I don't know. I, there, there is. There's also that not necessarily a sequel, but there is that. There's this uh, trend that's come up in the last couple of years, also of doing remakes, like with Legend of Galactic Heroes, with Hunter Hunter, with oh my god, I didn't pronounce the X. Wow, I'm growing up. Uh, <laughs> with uh, there, were, there were two that we saw this season, or not this season, but this year, um, with Dororo and Blade of the Immortal, getting. Uh, remakes, uh, both of which have been pretty good so far, um, or at least Dororo was good. Uh, Blade of the Immortal, as the as of the time this recording is still airing, so we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that trend. What I'm hoping doesn't happen is that the that the anime industry gets in the slump that Hollywood is in right now, where it's just endless reboots and remakes and sequels and like a, a huge, huge aversion to new ips mm-hmm. and that's that would be horrible and honestly it does kind of seem like we're tumbling down that road 
Yeah, and the thing that scares me the most about it is a lot of the with the you know advent of these streaming services pouring actually pouring money into anime studios. This um, this American money is going to incentivize that the creation of things like endless sequels, endless reboots, endless remakes. Yeah. I don't know. That's one thing I really hope going forward we don't see. Um, something else going forward I hope we don't see. So back in 2010 when this decade started, we had an average, and I went and calculated it, that we had an average of just over 19 new shows that premiered each season. In 2019, through all four seasons, we had an average of 38 new shows per season. Now my question to you, show, is that a good thing or a bad thing, that much content coming out per season? Honey, that's why you're going bankrupt. Well, I saying. agree. I mean, it's 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 too much content coming out from from not enough sources. I mean, you look at JC staff. I like I'd hate to work for JC staff right now. They must be so fucking overworked. They had like eighteen shows come out this year. Ouch! In a year, they've done a lot. I don't. I'm kind of exaggerating for effect there, but it's been a lot. It's been more than a dozen. Well, that's a over lot. the course of a year. I mean, you look at a studio like Trigger that does maybe one or two productions a year on average, and you have JC Staff that is doing upwards of a dozen uh, productions per year. Like that's just not sustainable. Eventually, they're going to hit a point where there's going to be so much coming out that not only are there not going to be enough platforms for them to air on, there's not going to be enough money to pay all the people required to make this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's another trend I'd like to see maybe dialed back a little bit in the 2020s i mean there's a good part and a bad part because i mean i personally went through a lot of the uh shows that have all aired and in the early 2010s only a few shows were um relevant in my opinion per season and then when we go to the 20 like the late 2010s you have like five to six shows per season that are relevant. So, mm. I mean, you get a lot of good shows that come out per season with this huge um, huge production schedule. But then again, you also get a lot of trash shows. So, I don't know what is good and what is bad, but <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I, I think an average of 38 new shows per season is a little much. It does seem like a lot, when, but I mean, when more than more than half of them end up being shit anyway. It might just be the industry growing. I'm not sure. It it may be, but when at the same time, there's always stories of animators not being paid. So it doesn't seem like it's a good balance. Were they ever paid? That's a good question. Where are the I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a trend. It's a trend I would like to see dialed back going forward, though. I think thirty eight is too much. Maybe maybe keep it around twenty. I think that's that may be a good number. Maybe. Who knows? All right. So I, I want to wrap this up with asking uh, two specific questions. Um, show what this is going to be an interesting one for you to answer because you don't have much to compare it to um, since you really only started getting into anime this decade. Um, but what do you think of the actual direction the anime has been going on over the last decade? Do you what and like what stuff do you want them to keep doing, and what do you think they should change? They should only make Fujoshi Shonen shows <laughs> about sweating sportsmen. <laughs> um, 
I mean, the direction of the industry, I definitely hope. Is this what I hope or what I notice? Yeah, what do, yeah, what do, what do you hope for the industry? Well, I hope that the industry definitely um, considers more heavily the ability of streaming or direct-to-net and then when you consider that option uh like sort of foregoing all of the censorship and maybe foregoing all of the um traditional uh tropes or structures that you would necessarily have to um abide by to sell to your local demographic and maybe internationalize be more creative maybe um uh bring in foreign talents which we've seen happening in a few of the recently aired shows um i would love to see more globally cooperated uh anime productions between uh different foreign studios and I would definitely love to see a freed, a freeing, a liberalization of um, the, I don't know, the, the, the tropes and, um, you know, all of the, I don't know, more liberal anime, <laughs> more free anime, free the titties, free the anime. What can I say? So, I mean, what what I'm hearing is you want a little more of that East meets West thing that we've got going on right now a little bit. Sure. It doesn't have to yeah. be traditionally West. It could just be anything that isn't what I've already seen. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you maybe be, be more risk-taking. Take, take a chance on some stuff that we haven't seen before. Yes. Don't be afraid to expand your audience overseas and cooperate with other uh, companies from different countries. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I think definitely being less risk averse would definitely help. Um, I, I'd, I'd have to say overall, I have a slightly more pessimistic view of where the, uh, the industry is headed over the next decade. Um, I, the, the, the constant, articles that we read about animators not getting paid and um studios you know facing financial troubles um and constantly you know animators constantly being overworked and as i said underpaid or not even paid at all um i think that is the only thing that's really got me on a, a somewhat of a pessimistic view because i know that from a financial standpoint that that can't that can't go on into perpetuity. I mean, eventually the debt collectors will come and take all of your shit. Any survival um, of the fittest. If you weren't fit, then you die. And only the strong I know, I'm just saying survive. That, I, I'm saying that we're probably, like, the with Manglobe and Zebic, I don't think it's going to be the last big name uh, anime studio to go down. Um, it's... It's interesting seeing someone like Studio Trigger that's looking at alternate sources of funding, like fan funding and crowdfunding for some other stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if more anime studios do that going forward. Um, we also have a, a good example of what's going on right now with um, uh, World in Economica is currently doing a 
a Kickstarter to get an anime adaptation made of that visual novel. So, I mean, that, that that's something else that I think that maybe more anime studios should look into, alternate sources of funding. Um, I, I am hopeful with the collaboration that we're, like you said, we're seeing with um, Eastern and Western production companies and uh, talent. Um, I really hope that stays the same and, and, and keeps growing. Um, I'm not really sure how to feel about all the Western and specifically American money that's being put into uh, anime studios. I, I just my fear of that is that they get addicted to it and they become unable to function without it. Um, but I do think that content wise and especially like uh, narrative wise, I like what I'm seeing from the industry. I like that there's a lot of um, directors in particular willing to take uh, a chance on something that isn't necessarily franchisable. Something like Carolyn Tuesday is a good example of that. <clears throat> um, and I was, it was one of the things I was going to say now. I forgot what it was. God, I hate getting old. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, something, I, something I would like to see more of is more anime originals and maybe have the industry less reliant on manga and light novels for a source of their anime works. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I have a, I have a real soft spot in my heart for, for anime originals. I love giving them a shot more than anything else. Um, and there's been a lot of really good anime original content that we've had over the last decade. And I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see more studios give more of a chance on anime originals An- going forward. Anime originals are a double-edged sword. They are they a double-edged sword. And it, it's really bad. It's it, it's it's a risk, but it's a risk I think more studios should take going forward because when the payoff is good, boy, it's good. I can agree. That's with it. That, that's yeah. that's the 2010s. Um, wow, I've, we're getting old, man. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Don't let me be old by myself. Uh, yeah, it's it's the decade that was. This is my. How many years have I been watching anime now? Since 1996, so nearly two and a half decades I've been watching anime now. Wow. That is a lot. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, I've seen a lot of shit come and go, and uh, that's why I'm not as hopeful as some people about the next decade. But yeah, that was our look back at the 2010s in anime uh thank you all there for dropping into list this we hope you enjoyed it because we always enjoy bringing this stuff to you if you want to check out previous episodes of the podcast you can find us on youtube soundcloud itunes and spotify if you want to keep up with what we're doing you can join us on discord facebook twitter and our website shoot us an email if you have any questions or if you have ideas for topics you'd like for us to talk about in the future links to all these things will be down below in the description as always i have been your host alex and i will see you next year say good night show night boomers oh god no uh happy new year everybody (laughs) 